Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. Uh, it is, we are recording this on a Sunday, the day after a West Virginia victory, the first victory, the first game of the 2020 football season. Mike and I, I'm being joined, wait, let me, let me, it, let me roll that back, Mike. I, I'm not used to leading here. I'm not used to introducing. I'm used to waiting for you to say, I got somebody waiting in the wings. So, Mike, how are you? Good. Um, I would say, like, refreshed for a Sunday because I didn't spend a whole lot of time at the stadium before and after the game like I usually do. So my day was shorter. I, I did stay and watch a needless amount of football Saturday because I missed it. Um, but... This all feels very different, not having stuff in person. I'm not transcribing a lot of tape. I didn't talk to anybody that no one else talked to yesterday. So I feel like my plate does not have as much on it as it normally does on a Sunday. So I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad you're giving me more work to do. And I'm finding out that I don't have as much work to do. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast, you already know. But this is something we're starting. Uh, this year is the first one we're going to do. Uh, open things up on the VIP message board for our, our VIP users to ask questions post game uh, obviously the vast majority of them had to deal with what we had just seen on saturday afternoon um some of them kind of delve into the future what a uh, big picture type stuff but we're going to every sunday monday i think we're going to run this on monday mornings um answer a handful of those on the podcast and then we'll take the rest of them put them on in in written word and answer the rest of them that way so uh, we have gone through what you guys have asked on the board. Uh, we have picked a few. We did not pick our – it's not our favorites. We don't like some of you more than others. Um, um, at least not me. Maybe Mike does. But um, we, we picked out a few to, to touch on. And you, you guys did have a lot of good questions. And, again, these aren't, these aren't necessarily the top ones today, but they're close because um, we had a hard time picking them all. Um, but you ready to just get started, Mike? Yeah, add this, though, too. It's a democracy. Like, we let people pick on the upvote which ones they want to answer, so we kind of go up there that prioritizes it. Also, Correct. some of these overlap a little bit, just a little bit in the overlap. Not so much that we can't answer them, but I think that we'll be able to address some questions that are not asked um, with answers to other questions. So if you're getting fired up because your question didn't get mentioned, uh, we probably swept it into one, um, one pan, and we're going to try to knock out a couple of the same questions at once. Um, just by answering one, can probably touch on a few. One subject is going to be the defensive line, for example. Another one I think you're going to write about too is, um, you know, pass coverage. Um, so we'll get to them. It may not happen today, or it may not be yours directly, but we'll certainly address the topic, even if we don't answer your question. So bear with us. Very solid preemptive strike on that one, Mike. Very solid. Um, let's get started. Uh, from user BDZL. Since they got so many minutes today, which newcomer impressed the most, in your opinion? Who looked like the biggest star this year or in the future? You go ahead and you go ahead and take this one. Kick us off, right? Well, I think it's kind of easy, but it's unfortunately the the way to go here. Frazier, Zach Frazier, starting playing the most snaps on offense, really without a hiccup. Um, you're supposed to be a year or two away if you're a true freshman center playing college football. Um, I think that the future is really bright for him this year. I don't know. I think that Barron's and I come back and, and take hold of that position. I don't think you can ask Frazier to play 10 games as long as he did, as well as he did, but there certainly is a bright future there. I do wonder if maybe he's good enough to slot in as a backup guard this year in addition to backup center. We'll see. Um, 
But I would say in 2020, Sam Brown was the guy who kind of opened my eyes a little bit because he started over Sam James. I'm sure we'll get to that. And he made some plays. He showed some things early in the game when he was active. Um, I think that there's a good chance that he's going to matter this year. Are you ready for the ultimate three-way hedge here? You ready for Oh, this? okay. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the guy you're going to see most consistently this year, the guy that you're going to see actually on the field, although you may not know it, the guy you're going to see most consistently is Reese Smith as he is involved in, I believe he starts on three of the four special teams units. Um, and I think you're going to see him at some inside. I think there's more opportunities on the inside than there is on the outside like there was, although Sam Brown kind of was in a little bit. Um, so I think you'll see Reese Smith out there more. I think the biggest impact maybe this year, the guy who might have like the biggest play or the biggest game is going to be Sam Brown. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I, I think based off what we saw yesterday and what would get me the most giddy about the future for this program, it's got to be Zach Frazier. Because you're right, Chase Barrett's going to come back. Chase Barrett's going to be the starting center almost almost certainly. And that might push Frazier to, you know, that's going to push Frazier to the backup role. Uh, maybe he can slide into guard, like you said. But the fact that he was able to come in in his very first game as a true freshman and start at center center you know this is not that's a difficult spot to play on the offensive line because it's difficult physically for any true freshman but uh mentally between the eyes because your your center typically is calling out blocking schemes calling out blitzers calling out defenders uh so he has to know what everyone is doing on the offensive line and he has to see what's going on in the defense as well so for him to be able to do what he did in his very first game as a true freshman you have to be excited about his future in the long run. I would agree. Uh, next question. Let's see. This is from WVU Doke 6021. Plain and simple. Is D-line depth a concern? Question mark. If it doesn't grow from this, certainly. Because um, I just don't think we got the splashy plays from the top shelf guys. And we didn't see a lot of plays, period for the reserves. The problem is that Eastern Kentucky ran the ball 32 times, passed it 17 times. That's 49 snaps. It's really hard to get your your good guys the work they need for that first game, and it's hard to get your second and third guys. So we're talking about how Brandon Yates and Zach Frazier, they played north of 50 snaps. The entire defense played 49 snaps, so I think it's hard to have a gauge in that. So I'm going to say if this is the trend in the future, sure. I think that this is kind of deceiving in the first game. We just didn't see a lot of these guys because they didn't have a whole lot of chances. And even if Quay Mays and Jordan Jefferson and Jalen Thornton are out there, um, it's hard to say what they're capable of in their first kind of eye-opening moments there and really limited number of snaps. Um, you did notice them. They did do some good things. I would also count, if we're talking defensive line, they really used their bandits like defensive linemen yesterday in different situations and kind of got to that even look. So that was good. Um I think what we're probably getting at here is that Sean Martin wasn't on the dress list and didn't play, and that's a highly, highly regarded recruit who's supposed to step in and play as a defensive end somewhere. Um, and when you're talking about defensive end with Jeffrey Poole or without Taj Alston and with kind of patchwork, fill in the blank, maybe it's Dante Stills, you know, maybe it's Linnell Carr, who actually had a pretty spry play for a tackle from behind yesterday. Um, you'd like to have another body, and if it's not Martin, then there's probably nobody else. So who is it going to be? So I would say right now it's TBD, but that wasn't reflective, I think, of the future. But if it is how it is in a couple of weeks, sure, we're going to be talking about how maybe that strength isn't quite as strong as it is. 
Can I go contrarian on this to at least not to your point exactly, but to the implication that there wasn't depth or that the depth didn't play well mm-hmm. for this game? Because again, maybe this is a little sneak peek of the the pro football focus grades piece I'm going to do, but six of the top 10 graded players for West Virginia were defensive linemen. The Stills brothers, Mesador, Thornton, Pooler, and Lee. Tavis Lee. Tavis um, Lee played. That's right. First time. So, and, and and again, once you, the way the grading system works, you kind of start at a 50 and then you get a handful of plays and you get plus points or minus points, depending on how you did. So limited snaps can kind of skew those numbers a little bit, but I think, I think it's fine, and I w- it never even crossed my mind that D-line depth was a concern after watching that game, and in part because of one of the things that you brought up. They were practically playing four down linemen. There were times, a lot of times, where I was looking yeah. at it, and it's like it, it's a 4-2-5, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, is that bandit, is that one of the linebacker bandits, you know, like Cowan or Bartlett, or did they slide in a defensive end like they were known to do a couple times last year when they did it with Pooler, or did they do it with Reuben Jones, or was he more almost exclusively DN? I can't remember. He, but... kind of, he would play in a he would play standing up every so often, but he was definitely the fourth guy. Yeah, so I, I, I it's almost like a four two five, and then once you start counting those guys, we're talking Cowan who had a couple nice plays, Bartlett who had a couple nice plays, Linnell Carr as you mentioned sneaking in there, getting a snap and or getting a sack in his limited snaps. So I have zero concerns about D line depth right now. Yep, I think you're right there. And again, the guys who did play a little bit played pretty well. I also don't think they didn't play a whole lot of games up front. You saw hardly any twisting and stunting and pre-stop movements, whatever. It was pretty much get lined up and play the ball and see what happens. Um, I'm going to give you a couple rapid-fire questions here. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it short and sweet. Uh, does Tony Fields lead the team in tackles by the end of the season? Yes. Yes. Um I'll slightly add to that uh, from my tweet the other day, from my tweet Sunday morning. 25 snaps, 10 tackles. Um, I expect him to expand his role and continue the tackling rate. So, yes, 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 yes. He doesn't Um, know what he's doing yet, and he's got 10 (laughs) tackles and 25 snaps. He figures out what to do. That's remarkable. I know I said we're going to go short here, but that it blows my mind that you can get 10 tackles on 25 snaps because. Even if you're in the middle of the middle linebacker position, they're going to go away from you a good portion of the time. Like they're not going right up the middle or going where you can even get to them even half the time. And for him to almost end up getting a tackle half the time is insane. Um, sorry, I won't, I won't extend anymore. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Come on now. Was there ever, I'm quoting here, come on now. Was there ever really a quarterback competition? Question mark. No, I mean, unless unless Jared Dagey was going to be hanging out with the eleven dudes who got suspended more than he should, uh, I don't think there was ever a question he was going to start the first game. That that was something we talked about two or three weeks ago before this even happened. That it was pretty much Dagey from the moment they walked out the field. And I guess from the moment Kendall walked out the field at TCU, um, it was just Kenny Holando. Can he do everything that you're supposed to do as a starter in the offseason, even if you're uncrowned? And he did. And even Brown said this this past week. You know, why did you pick one over the other? Was it something that Daigie did? And he said it wasn't anything he did. He was just more consistent. And that means that he was able to sustain that performance, which is what they wanted him to do. Uh, he didn't fall back. Kendall didn't pass him. So you go with the guy um, who played well and, and didn't lose the job. And by the way, is better. Like, again, 
those numbers and that performance yesterday was better. And I know when Kendall got in, he's working with lesser talent around him. It didn't look the same as Daigie. Who are some other options at punt return? This one we can expand on a little more, and I don't think we need to give a one-word answer. But for for those wondering why this question was asked, there were a couple bobbles, uh, not much too positive on the punt return uh, front yesterday. Uh, do you think, one, do you think there should be a consideration for a change? And two, if so, who are your options? Well, I mean, this is, I feel like this is bait for me, right? <laughs> it is absolutely. I am bait. I'm, I'm just lobbing it up there for you. Go ahead. You can do it's, it. It's Malashevich would be the number two right now. Uh, I mean, he was catching punts at the end of camp, I think, with the ones, and that may just be to get him reps. It doesn't mean he's going to be the guy, but it means they think he could be a guy, and he got in there, and they want to see what he could do, and it, it looked good with him in there. I think Sinkfield had a nice return. Um, I also know he put the ball on the ground twice, um, one on the, when he muffed a punt, which is bad, and one when he lost a fumble that was overturned on replay, rightly, but still, it came out twice, and I'm thinking that's going to stick in your head. Um, you know, these little things matter, so – if you botch a punt, if you miss a field goal, just because you win 56-10 doesn't mean those things didn't happen and that the coaches don't pay attention. So I think that could be a competition there. So that would be one. Uh, you mentioned that he is on three special teams. I don't believe that Reese Smith is on punt return. Um, could he be a four-for-four four guy and return punts? I'd be curious about that because another guy, he can catch it on offense or defense. We know that by his interception total and obviously his offensive skill. And then Esdale's a guy, too. I'm not sure if he's doghoused or not. I'm not sure if that he's ever really proven himself over a, a sustained period of time. Being suspended doesn't help, too. But I know that he was a guy they, they said he can do it if we need to. Um, does he have the juice? Does he have the leash, so to speak, to do it? Um, those would be my other candidates. I haven't mentioned O'Coley because I don't know. He might be more of a kickoff return guy. Punt return, you can see corners do that, and he certainly has the speed and the shake. So that would be a, a longer list than probably intended. But... Let's be honest. It begins and ends with Mr. Malashevich. Mike, let's be clear. Just because you're a homer, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Okay? It doesn't mean you're wrong. Oh. He, he looked a little shifty out there. I like the way he, he played on a couple of those. Uh, not just that, but also the, the short catch and, and extended run he had after where he made a man miss, had a little hesitation. That's the kind of little shiftiness that you need in those punt returns. You have to be able to make those quick decisions and make a guy miss real quick. So uh, I think that's a good spot for him. Um, Being the holder helps too. That means I trust him and he's got good hands. Right. Uh, You mentioned something in those remarks there about uh, missing field goals. Uh, That happened yesterday. Evan Staley. I brought it up during the three goals. I said, I wanted to see 2018 Evan Staley. Uh, the, the question, the reason I'm going here is because one of the questions was, what's up with Evan Staley? And I, I mentioned on my three goals, I want to see 2018 Evan Staley. He was very good that year, high percentage of makes, hit some clutch uh, clutch field goals, hit some from deep. But the second half of 2017 and all of 2019, just to be on, to be blunt, just not somebody you could rely on, especially from outside of like 35 yards. And it was a concern. And I said, I wanted to see that. And he just completely misses on a 25-yard field goal, square in the middle of the field, with a perfect snap, a perfect hold, and zero pressure. What's up with Evan Staley, Mike? Something's wrong. I don't know. He shouldn't miss that. Um, He was talked about a bunch, and they put him in pressure situations, and I don't think it was perfect, and I think it was probably farther from perfect than they want. 
Um, you give that guy the chance because he's been good and he didn't lose it last year. He got hurt. And even when he came back, he probably wasn't himself. So you give him a chance now. I think that this becomes a problem when it begins to affect not missing field goals from the 25, but if it affects not points off the board, but the decisions that the coach makes. If he can't run his field goal team out there on fourth and six from the 29, the 30, because he's worried and he's going for it, that's a problem. And I don't think Brown wants to be back in that corner. So I think Staley has a couple more opportunities, but I would be worried if I were him because Casey Leg kicked the final PAT. Uh, he kicked the final three kickoffs and put two into the end zone for touchbacks. He may have a bigger leg than Staley. I mean, he's a big guy, um, and he's only going to get better because he's new to it. They like him a lot. They've kept him around. They've talked him into, you know, compete, compete, compete. You have a chance. Um, I think if there's an emergency, you break the glass, you get Casey Leg. It's just a matter of when that happens. I guess if it happens, too. But if it does, that's who they go for. So I want to pitch something here. Why not Tyler Sumter? I, that's that's good. It's a good question. I don't hey, have oh, an answer for you there, except that I just think that I think that they like leg better than Sumter. I'm not sure, but again, um, that's a, that's a possibility you have, and that's one of the great things about having Sumter, a guy who's proven and can do it. Um, I just it could happen. It could. But here's the point: if you're Staley, there's two guys who can, and we haven't even mentioned Colton McGee. So if you're not sharp right now, and your team is going in that direction, you're costing three points or possessions one way or the other. There's three guys who can do it. And they're going to get a chance. If one guy can't do it and three guys could, they're going to see who can do it. You're right. For those for those listening, you, you probably already know this, but for those who don't, uh, Tyler Sumter, I mean, again, a lot of coaches do not like having a punter also do kicking. I get that. But Tyler Sumter did the punting and the kicking at Troy for Neil Brown and was good. Uh, he made seven, over 70, 75% or more of his field goals all three seasons at Troy. Uh, in his final season for Neil Brown, that he could rely on him to routinely make long field goals. Uh, Neil Brown attempted 11 field goals over 40 yards that 2018 season, and um, Tyler Sumter made eight of those 11. So he is somebody that Neil Brown has trusted in the past and isn't afraid to do it and isn't afraid to ask him to do punts and kicks. So I, we're, ta- we're, talking, we're talking about special teams here, which is my thing, of course. We're talking about guys who came from Troy. It, it kind of feels weird, but you remember last year, um, Marcus Jones, who was the All-American return man at Troy um, mm-hmm. and a pretty good corner. I mean, people think he could be like NFL good if he wasn't 5'9". He still might be, but 5'9 is going to hurt him. I heard last year that he wanted to transfer here, and it just didn't feel right. It wasn't, wasn't the right thing to do. Um, it would be different situation, not only at cornerback right now, but the return game for sure, because he'd be the guy. Um, but they took a guy from Troy this year, but not last year. I guess the optics changed a little bit, huh? Yeah. Um, let's talk big picture. Big, 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 big 12 picture, I guess. Um, not a great week for the conference. Uh, Sunbelt uh, <laughs> might be, Sunbelt might be fishing for some uh, realignment uh, conversation. But do you think after this one week, after one week where only seven of the 10 teams played, that there is a change already in the Big 12 hierarchy? Well, I'm going to take my flogging here, and you can administer because you've earned this. I was dead wrong on Kansas. That team looks lifeless already in the first game, and I, I don't want to say that I wonder if Les Miles makes it to the season, but I, that team looked terrible and got beaten badly by a team from the Sun Belt that was 
definitely the third best team that beat a Big 12 team in the Sun Belt. Um, I kind of had my bottom set, though, with Kansas State, Kansas. Um, I thought Texas Tech would be better, and they struggled with an FCS team. Um, I would say the top is the top for sure. Texas and Oklahoma, I don't know if they proved anything, except that they just didn't get beat by teams that have no business beating Texas and Oklahoma. I think West Virginia, again, they're they're good, looked pretty good yesterday. Can they string out over four quarters as opposed to two against a team with a pulse? We'll see. We'll see pretty soon, it turns out. That's going to be their next game against another team in the conversation, Oklahoma State. So it's definitely three teams in the top now, and I think that there's fewer teams that can make that leap. Um, I have a hard time buying Kansas State then, as I do now. Um, I have a hard time buying Kansas now, as I did not then. Iowa State, again, they're going to end up winning eight games and having a great offseason, right? Everybody's going to be really happy and excited about them because that's what they do. I just wonder who's up in that top four now because Iowa State's out. I don't think you can get, make them a championship contender here. So can West Virginia rattle somebody, you know, have a good game and do it? Again, they'll find out soon. They're going to see how good they are right away. Um, how good is their good? We'll find out. But I would say that this is a less crowded competition for the top than we expected. I hope this next comment doesn't get in a parental advisory sticker labeled on our podcast, but um, we can just take turns flogging each other, Mike, because uh, you were the <laughs> one talking me into Kansas and I was the one trying to talk you into Iowa State. So uh, not a great week for either of our, our your sleeper pick or not, not necessarily even a sleeper pick, I guess, but maybe better than seller pick and, and my dark horse big 12 pick. So not a great start for those teams, but I agree with you. I think Iowa State, here's the problem with, not the problem, but the problem with writing off Iowa State. One, that game means absolutely nothing as far as Big 12 standings go. And two, you brought it up last time we talked, which coincidentally enough was only 24 hours ago, but um, what do they, they usually start out the year two and two and then went five in a row. Mm-hmm. So if, if they sit here and, go i don't know if they start out two and two and then win five of their last six if they're seven and three and that include what six and two in the conference are they sitting there tied for tied for second are they you know winning the tiebreaker and getting the championship game again well that that would be seven big 12 wins which seven and three you might be in that top two yeah so i'm not ready to write them off no, I don't. I but. saw a team that wasn't good at what it does well yesterday. Didn't cover people, did not tackle, and was just terrible on special teams. And those are things they do really well. Now, does that mean it's going to happen You know, for the entire season? No, they'll get better. We, we believe in that coaching staff. I think you probably think that those things are going to get tightened up sooner than later. But it happened. And, again, I'm not scared of them now. And there's a blueprint, if you want to believe in that, about how to stop a guy like Purdy. Um, maybe that's it now. Who knows? Um, he's missing his tight end yesterday. He's missing a receiver. That's going to be tough um, when you're playing from behind. That's they're not they're not a great team playing from behind, so there there might be some fool's gold there. But kind of hard to say that they belong in the conversation right now, based on what we saw from teams that did win and played a lot better. Let me put you on the spot. This wasn't this wasn't from the Q and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this one from myself here. Um, you're a Vegas odds maker. In a few days, nothing happens. No one gets ruled out, no injuries, no coronavirus, uh, positive tests, nothing. What are you setting the line at, West Virginia at Oklahoma State, two weeks from now? Well, what? So we assuming that they beat Oklahoma, they beat Tulsa 
Yeah, let's let's say they beat Tulsa. I you know by exactly how much everybody expects them to. So nothing changes as far as your view of Oklahoma State. I would say the Oklahoma State's favored by. I would say twelve. 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 Wow. Because I don't think you put the. I don't think you put them above like 14 and a half because the, the home field isn't there. Are they two touchdowns better? Maybe, but like that, that three points of the home team is, is not there. I think if you don't have home field advantage, but I could see it being like 12, that 12 and 14, but my guess would be 12. Okay. I, I was going to say, I was leaning around 10, but so I, I would take your bet if you gave me 12, but we, we've seen how well I do betting. So maybe probably you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I was scrolling through back through here. Wait, I got two more quick ones. Uh, and if there's any others that, that you saw that you want to add to the mm-hmm. the audio portion of our, our A and the Q&A, um, two quick ones. Who is West Virginia's best wide receiver at the end of the 2020 season? Are we out on Sam James? I'm not. That, that, that would right, be my answer. Say, that's my pick. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It, it's mysterious to me. And, like, I got, I got, like, prickly last night when people were saying you know what's up with him make me you know get me an answer to this question i'm like he caught five passes for 72 yards and a touchdown they took shots at, at him to see if he could do something that they wanted to do he didn't start he had the stats i like stats more than starts so in the end it doesn't matter to me um but if he's going to be your guy that racks up the stats why isn't he starting and brown's been brown's chirped a couple times in the past about james's consistency and that he likes to see it and you know, his ability to play through things and that, you know, maybe he had a bad start to a practice, but he played better toward the end, so on and so forth. Um, something happened that he was a starter in the depth chart that was released on Monday, and he didn't start and didn't play, what, the first two series on yep. Saturday? And a freshman beat him out. It's not like he lost it to, you know, Bryce Wheaton or you know, Sean Ryan or someone like that. You know, a guy who had never played and they don't know about, and that was still enough for them to say, let's put him on the bench to start this game and maybe it's a wake up call or not, but I think he's going to be really good. I don't have a question about that. Do you think this was motivation? Like, I mean, again, it's, it's too, too serious. There's no mention of him, you know, no injury, no suspension, no nothing like that. Um, And it's like you said, a true freshman and it's just, Hey, get more consistent or, or do something harder or more consistently or listen better, whatever it is that you're trying to motivate here. Uh, look, I got a shiny, a shiny new receiver from right down there in Georgia, where you're from. True freshman, never played. I'm gonna start him in your spot. I, it, it, I get a whiff of that right here. The the more we talk about it, the more we think about it. Because once he came in, it like I said, I think the very first four passes that Jarrett Daigie threw were all to Sam James. So I have this feeling that. The Daigie and James connection is still there. There's nothing about him like not being a real true starter in the sense that, you know, he's not getting reps with Daigie. I think that connection is still there and and everything's going to end up fine. This was just motivation. We um, agree that Darius Stills is pretty good, right? Yes. I mean, not notwithstanding his performance yesterday, which I don't fault him. It's hard to play when you got three guys trying to swallow you every play. Um, they started Jordan Jefferson at nose last year for a game. Middle of the season, but they, it happened. they started him for a game. Who's their better nose? By far, Darius Stills. Like, right. did, did they need him to wake up a little bit? Sure. There's ways that guys do this. I think that players care about starts because they can say, I started every game for however many years. Um, James can't say that now. Maybe the, maybe there's a point that had to be made, and perhaps it is. 
Um, speaking of starters and their backups, one last quick one. Letty looked good, but did Sinkfield look better? Or excuse me, more promising uh, is is the question from WVU Doke. I would have liked to have seen Letty more than 10 carries to answer this question better. Um, if he had gotten Mathis's 15, I could give you a better answer. I liked everything I saw at Letty Brown, though. Um, that's the guy that, when he's right, does stuff like that. So that's good. I was very encouraged by Alex Sinkfield, though. That's a guy that you've been waiting to see for a long, long time. Um, and the fact that he got it 13 times, the fact that he played through some mistakes because he was allowed to, I think it's indicative of where he is and where they want him to be. Um, but I've been on this bandwagon for him for a while. I think he's talented. I think he can play different ways. The coaches had him at receiver last year because maybe he wasn't there running back and maybe because he had a talent to catch passes. But, you know, why are they looking to get him in a different situation? Because he's valuable. He can do something. And he wasn't going to play running back last year behind who they had. If you go back to his, let's say, last two camps in the preseason, he's getting preseason reps behind McCoy, behind Petaway, and behind Letty Brown even. This year, Petaway and McCoy are gone. It's just him and Letty Brown. No offense to Mathis, but Sinkville was number two from the get-go. He probably got, seriously, what do you think? About 33, 50% more snaps in the preseason. He looked like it. Everybody said that he took care of himself, and he was in really good shape when he came back. The first part of camp, everybody's trying to get their lungs back and their legs back. He's already there. He's not worried about conditioning. He's worried about doing what's happening on the field. He's making strides longer, greater, quicker than other people. And he's in an advanced position right now, too. Um, more promising? I don't know. I think Letty Brown's going to be the guy that gets the most carries. Um, I think he's a good receiver, too, probably underrated. But I don't have a problem giving Sinkfield action if something happens or you need a change of pace. No, I think that was about as good of a day for both of them as it possibly could have been outside of uh, the little bit of fumbling issues that you mentioned with Sinkfield on, on special teams and while running the ball. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up. Mike, you got any others that you saw that you wanted to answer right now? I had one. Go. The the game atmosphere. The, I'm trying mm. to find the question now, but yeah, year four CDA, any impressions of game day atmosphere, your sports team, players, staff, families, ideas to turn this weirdest into any home field advantage. I thought it was kind of loud, and I it was not the, the parents and the family members booing or cheering so much. Uh, West Virginia did a pretty good job. Not just social distancing and not just keeping them off the hard camera as much as possible because you couldn't see who was masked and unmasked. I think that's good because if you start giving people those talking points, it gets off track and it's about what it shouldn't be about. But you could hear things and some of its players and some of its coaches and stuff like that. But they pumped in noise. They actually had some of their own crowd noise and some of their own effects. Um, And EA Sports actually chipped in with some some in-game features to give it a little bit of ambiance, a little bit of atmosphere, too. Um, I was really entertained listening to quarterbacks talk and listening to Walt Wells scream and curse. Um, I like being able to hear more. Um, that was cool, but it's so weird when you're watching the game and there's nothing. When you see nothing and then you hear nothing. Um, and I'm an Indians fan, so I've seen and heard a lot of that for a long, <laughs> long time, even when they're popular. But football's different. It's not like that. And the, the couple games I watched really didn't feel right. I liked having that crowd and everything there, too, and I thought it was a good, a good deal that – can it turn into an advantage? Probably not. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I think it could be comforting for players and feel a little bit more like it. Um, but also, like, you're going to have to impress people who come to the games, and it did have someone there who needed to be impressed yesterday, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, Marvin Jones Jr., brother of Daryl Porter Jr., as we reported last week, um, no recruiting allowed, no fans at the game, 
but family members could be there, family members, essential personnel, and, and limited media members. So this just kind of happenstance. Um, as Jones told me, I caught up with him after the visit. He said it was great. He loved seeing the team. Uh, even he also, though, he, he said West Virginia looked good, but would like to see them do it against better opponents because he, he did also note that Eastern Kentucky is uh, not great. Uh, but he was not able to talk to the coaches. I said that was probably not going to happen. Uh, he wasn't able to go see the facilities or anything. I'm told that's not a recruiting thing, but it was more of a COVID protocol situation that uh, you know typically family members are allowed to go in and, and check out things and see guys at certain points, not necessarily right before the game or right after, but that they were just not letting outsiders in um, you know, just for, for, for precaution, which is completely understandable. But he seemed impressed, and he tells me that he stays in, co- in contact with lead recruiter Travis Trickett uh, ever since September 1st hit, and the coaches could initiate contact then again. So it seemed positive. I know everybody wishes it was the full red carpet rollout, but obviously West Virginia couldn't do that. But they were still able to do more than anybody else. So it, it, it's a positive for sure. Uh. Last one, just in general here, because there's a couple of offensive line questions. Um, I, I, we'll see what they do with Frazier. I mean, maybe he's going to have got a plan, but to whose snaps is he biting out of? I don't know. Um, Mays played left and right tackle. I don't know if he was better than Hughes at right, but that's a point that people had brought up that he looked pretty good. And then some of those odd combinations at the end, I don't think you have to worry about. You're probably not going to see a lot of Tyler Connolly or Nick Malone, but you know, right guard, the backup right guard spot is kind of open right now. And Parker Moore played left, and Jordan White played right. Um, how would you do a top eight now? The five who start normally are going to be Uzebu, Gemitter, Barrett, Brown. I thought Mike Brown was pretty good, too. We had to get an update on his injury, but I thought he was good. And Hughes. After that, Mays. Yeah, I mean, I'm Gates. going. I, I think I'm. St- I don't think I'm changing mine. I think it's still Mays, Frazier, and Yates. And that. I mean, again, we, we saw Jordan White kind of hop in there at right guard. Parker Moore was over at left guard. But I think those guys are maybe 9 and 10, but I think there's a pretty not, – not big gap, but I think they might try some other combinations instead of jumping straight to – like if, if say, Gamitter got hurt, I think they'd go another direction before they jump straight to Parker Moore. Is it Frazier? Do you go Frazier or do you move I mean, Barrett to left guard and then move Frazier to center? That's a great question. I think that that's a great luxury you have now, though, is that you saw enough out of Frazier to say, this kid can take it. Like, let's figure out what to do and, like, let's give him reps at guard in addition to center and give us something to think about. Maybe he can slide there and over, but maybe he can play guard. And that's what he's more experienced at. Maybe not Maybe not now. He did get 50-something snaps at center in a Division One game yesterday. He hadn't snapped very much before. Um, he was a guard in high school, mostly. So he's more accustomed to that. I, but I think that that's probably the great outcome there. You had seven for sure with the starting five and then Mays and Yates as backups. Yates did nothing to hurt himself yesterday. Mays did nothing to hurt himself yesterday. Mays could be a guard, but if you go to nine now, you go to nine because you really like what you saw out of Frazier. There's no reason, there's no way you can't play him now based on yesterday's performance. As long as he didn't fall apart and backtrack. And again, you got to spoon feed him now. You don't want to let him have the full buffet all the time because you're going to wear him down. That seems like a guarantee of the freshman, no matter how tough and strong he is. But you might be able to steal a possession with him at center or guard 
in the in, in event of an injury or fatigue or something like that. I think that's a cool takeaway is that now you got another option. You're like, all right, we can give this guy something to work on. Not going to be overwhelmed. He's going to cut it because look what he just did in his first game on Saturday. It's a good spot for West Virginia to be, for sure. I think, um, again, we don't want to get too too much of an overreaction to whooping up on Eastern Kentucky and guys doing well against Eastern Kentucky, but it seems like, as Neil Brown mentioned, this split spot, split practices really helped get a lot of these young guys reps, and then these young guys are able to get actual game reps as well, which could really help, really help in the future. I think the splits are going to happen in the future. Maybe not in camp, maybe in the spring even. I don't know, just because you can do more in the spring, but I think that's a keeper idea they found. Yeah, that's great. It was really great. Um, well, Mike, I think it's time for us to split. Sorry for the pun, uh, oh. but you like that? But I, I think we got to wrap it up. We, we're going to have another podcast later in the week. We're going to obviously have lots of stories. We are, I believe. Uh, I think he tried to get out of it in the post game, but then got corrected. Uh, I believe we're going to get Neil Brown on Tuesday. Is that is that still the case? Yeah, that's not about us. That's about TV. He's got to do that once a week. That's, that's contractually obligated. So I, I saw him say, you guys might not see me. And then he looked up, and I'm pretty sure Mike Montoro was like, oh, you'll be here. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get that on Tuesday. We'll have Neil Brown. Um, we have plenty of updates, not just from this post game on uh, several recruiting updates. We're going to have pro football focus grades and discussion up. Uh, Mike, you got anything, anything else I haven't mentioned yet? Let me tease. I told you the red zone stat that I'm going to write about, right? Oh yeah. It's amazing. Uh, that was good. So what I'll get into a little bit about some Jared Parker effects in different areas, vertical passing red zone, some cause effects stuff. By the way, you know, he called some plays yesterday late in the game. I did not. He did. Brown kind of said that at the end. Like, oh, he even called some plays during the game. I think that was – like I, when I rewatched, there were some times that he was look like communicating and signaling things in as best as he could. Now, he's far away. I get that. But he was calling the plays and getting stuff in. So, interesting development there too. So, um, yeah. So, a little bit of that. We'll do some film stuff, believe it or not, too. Some screen share ideas to go over with the running game. Um, and then some stuff from the post game yesterday that was good about Frazier and Letty Brown and – where things are and where they go. So it'll be busy, even though there's no game. Well, I think that's a great week, a uh, great way to wrap up week one of the 2020 college football season, the season we weren't even sure we were having. So um, looking forward to next week, even though, hey, it's a buy, uh, an open week. Wait, which one do you prefer, buy or open? It's an open week because you advance if you buy. Like you're there in a you tournament go. setting, you're going to buy and you go. So I call it an open week. I knew you're going to think about that. But te- technical me. You're going to technical <laughs> on me here. Okay, fine. We'll wrap it up. We'll get ready for our open week. And uh, then we'll return with a lot more stuff uh, about Oklahoma State and moving forward for West Virginia. But for now, uh, let's wrap this podcast up. I am Chris Anderson. All right. If they call it a root canal <laughs> and you only get a cavity filled, it's not the same thing, right? Like if you wake up and you're missing teeth because I thought I was supposed to get a filling. Well, actually, no, we removed your tooth. Not the same thing. The terminology matters. I'm Mike Casaza. <laughs> Thanks for listening.